It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The prison is full of cruelty, violence, men pummeling each other to a pulp. The evil is palpable. Inmates and guards alike look like hardened criminals, which makes the inhabitants of one giant freestanding cage stand out all the more. It's a woman. She's hanging upside down, hair stringy, but still clearly blonde. And as we pan out, we see that she's dancing on makeshift aerial silks strung up against the bars of her cage. For all the grime, she's beautiful, strong, graceful, with perfect bone structure and little clothing to obscure her body. When the guards approach with their stomping footsteps and groupthink, all we see is contrast. The girl is something wild, fascinating, sexy, something these men want, but can never have or understand. The message is driven home when she makes eye contact with one of the guards and licks the bars of her cage. He responds, oh my God, you are really in bad shape upstairs, lady. The oh my God is dripping with desire. So is the regretful accusation of crazy, but that one keeps him at a distance. Then, when she asks him to come play with her like a sad, sexualized child, we learn the other reason he keeps his distance. She put five of the guards in the hospital last week. This is Harley Quinn. She's sexy, she's unstable, and she's one of the most popular villains in the modern comic book world. Hey everyone, Alastair here. I host several podcast shows. They're all dedicated to creating the most memorable storytelling in the podcast space. On Villains, we're digging into, you guessed it, villains. Some of them are fictional. The others are real-world criminals that inspired those creations. But in every episode, what's consistent is that we're trying to delve into what makes these figures such compelling, memorable antagonists. We're just past the halfway mark on our 10-episode season on crime bosses, gangsters, and kingpins. The past couple of weeks, we looked at Gus Fring of Breaking Bad and biochemist Eugenio Barrios and discussed the transition of the classic godfather family man mafioso into a more calculated businessman. Today, we're discussing a similar transition of the female mobster with Harley Quinn. She's best known for her role as the submissive girlfriend and sidekick to the DC Universe's Joker. 
She appeared in everything from cartoons to comics to live-action films since the 1990s. And she has changed with the times, getting more manic and more independent too. Batman and the Joker are one of the most recognizable superhero villain pairings there is. They've been around since 1939 and 1940 respectively, and ever since, they've been an integral part of the DC Universe. Harley Quinn is a much later addition to the mythos. She was created in 1992 by writer Paul Dini and animator Bruce Timm for the show Batman The Animated Series. At the time, her prospects for becoming a central DC antagonist were not great. Rather than being a villain in her own right, she was a convenient female sidekick for the Joker. The quintessential Moll, or gangster's female companion, she was there as backup. But like every good Moll, Harley can be anything you want her to be, which has allowed her to morph and change across time and medium. Hints of this potential were evident from her very first 1992 appearance in episode 20 of Batman the Animated Series. We're in a small office, our attention focused on the Joker, whose drawling voice is scheming up some new plan or other. Then the camera pans out, and we see her, Harley Quinn, sitting on the Joker's desk, painting her nails. She's dressed in a black and red jester costume. The first words out of her mouth are a speculation about the reason Joker wants to commit his next crime. It is to laugh, huh, Mr. J? This comes out in a twangy, deep New England accent, a far cry from the Joker's own educated transatlantic tones. She's asking for his confirmation, his approval. Her next few lines are enthusiastic affirmations of the Joker's genius, punctuated by whistling and clapping. This is the original Harley Quinn, the side chick, the mob mole, the ditzy girl villain. But there's something about just how cheerfully she performs her role that suggests she might be in on the joke. Her name suggests as much too. Harley Quinn is a play on Harlequin, the classic servant figure in Italian Commedia dell'arte. And Harlequin, though an apparently astute servant, is not exactly as he seems. He often thwarts the plans of his master and pursues his own goals. This hint that the Joker's Harley Quinn is more than she seems is thus tantalizing. Not surprisingly, she soon becomes a zealous villain in her own right. In one Batman the Animated Series episode, when Batman stops Harley and the Joker from drilling out a helpless man's teeth, she proudly proclaims that the teeth were her idea. She commits crimes and fights male superheroes by the Joker's side. Sometimes she fights female superheroes on her own or with other female villains. But this was, after all, a cartoon character. And generally, the crimes she committed with the Joker weren't allowed to get too out of hand. Not before Batman stepped in to stop them. 
Her character did tend to be darker and more violent in the 90s DC comics as opposed to the cartoons. Likely because the comics were less exclusively aimed at children, the villains were allowed to be more violent. That violence, though, wasn't always aimed at the good guys. Often, it was aimed at Harley Quinn. Throughout many of Harley's earliest appearances in the DC Universe, on both cartoon programs aimed at children and in the more mature comics, she wasn't just the Joker's adoring criminal sidekick, she was also his abused girlfriend. Her origin story, one of the comic world's classic tools for character development, was first written in the 1994 graphic novel The Batman Adventures – Mad Love. It was then adapted into an episode of the animated TV show The New Batman Adventures. It fleshed out the couple's relationship. They meet at Arkham Asylum, where the Joker is being held prisoner for his multitude of unhinged crimes in Gotham City. Harley Quinn, at this point living under her given name Harleen Quinzel, is an ambitious young doctor working with the asylum's psychiatric staff. Unfortunately for her, she fixes her ambitions on the Joker. She is determined to interview him and then write a tell-all book about the villain to advance her career. But he has a different agenda. First, he convinces Harley that he is a troubled soul who can be rehabilitated through loving care. Then, he slowly seduces her and uses her empathy for him to turn her perception of good and bad upside down. It is Batman who is the true menace, the Joker insists. Eventually, Mad Love details, the Joker escapes Arkham, and Batman returns him, visibly injured, to the asylum. Harleen's increasing conviction that it is Batman who is evil has concrete confirmation now, and she turns to the dark side. First, she raids a costume store for her infamous Harley Quinn outfit. Then, she breaks the Joker out of the asylum. And finally, they go on a crime spree honeymoon, launching their criminal life together. But it isn't all giggles and fun for Harley once she puts on her jester hat. We actually learn this backstory as she sits reminiscing about her past. She's trying to remember better times, because right now, her relationship with the Joker doesn't look so good. Already during this storyline, the Joker has aggressively yelled at her, pointing out her stupidity. He has violently dragged her by her jester hat, and he has point-blank smacked her out of his hideout. By the end of the episode, he will have thrown her out a window, too. This combination of verbal and physical abuse, all used to control and demean Harley, is a classic example of domestic violence. And we don't only see it in Mad Love. This kind of abuse was par for the course in the 1990s comics and cartoons featuring Harley. In fact, the concept of the abused girlfriend was part of the original inspiration for the character. Creator Tim explained, Harley Quinn is an instance of art imitating life. A mutual friend of mine and my co-creator Deanie's 
was stuck in a stormy but non-violent relationship with a guy whose personal obsessions precluded him from returning her unconditional love. Of course, in Harley's case, the relationship is evidently violent as well as, quote, stormy. These 1990s portrayals often show the Joker's abuse of Harley as humorous, all part of the rough-and-tumble world of the Gotham City villains. The Joker is evil and cruel after all. Of course he's a terrible boyfriend. But this aspect of Harley's character means that abuse underlies every crime that she enthusiastically commits with or for the Joker. Her motivations are complex and all a part of the blinding so-called mad love she has for the Joker. There's an element of this that Harley's creators hoped would make her a universally relatable character. As Deanie put it, It's happened to me, it's probably happened to you, and if it hasn't happened yet, rest assured that it will. Mad love is when you fall so passionately for a person, particularly the wrong person, that nothing else in the world matters. Through Harley's tragicomic experiences, we catch a glimpse of ourselves in a funhouse mirror, distorted and all too willing to play the fool for someone we'd be much better off without. But however universal the experience of Deanie's mad love might be, the abuse Harley endures is quite distinctly gendered, as in, its meaning is colored by the fact that it is an issue that overwhelmingly affects women. And in the history of the villains and the criminal world, both real and fictional, her role as the sidelined lover-meets-sidekick to a more central, powerful male villain is also distinctly gendered. She's a girl villain, all right. And abuse as a punchline is not particularly innovative or empowering. But many Harley Quinn fans have found both catharsis and empowerment in Harley, nevertheless. In part, that's because Harley Quinn is clever. In fact, she often seems cleverer than the Joker himself, and her fans see that and appreciate it. It's a reminder that Contrary to victim-blaming narratives, just because someone is in an abusive relationship doesn't mean they are inherently flawed. They are simply going through a difficult experience. For instance, Harley demonstrates her intelligence when she, not the Joker, gets close to killing Batman in the Mad Love episode of the new Batman Adventures. She has him strung up in rope, ready to drop into a tank full of piranhas. There is only one reason she doesn't finish off the job. She is worried the Joker will resent that she killed his nemesis, whereas he always failed. And she's absolutely right. Even while experiencing abuse, Harley is clearly her own intelligent, worthy villain. And audiences have to pause and wonder, Without that abuse, without her tether to the Joker's absurdist schemes and violent humor, what would she do? Who would she be? Is the Joker the only thing holding her back? Which leads us to another reason many fans have found Harley Quinn so inspiring. 
As the 1990s turned into the 2000s, some creators started answering those questions. 1990s third-wave feminism was seeping out of theory and into mainstream culture, and DC was no exception. It was ready to let Harley fight her way out of abuse and into her own role as a solo villain, however difficult and cyclical that fight might be. Coming up, Harley Quinn transforms in the new millennium. Now, back to the story. In the 1990s, Harley Quinn emerged as an enigmatic sidekick to Batman's nemesis, the Joker. But as hilarious, intelligent, and villainous as she was, her character was largely defined by an abusive relationship, which left several questions about this jester villain unanswered. If the Joker was out of the picture, who would she be? A peculiar feature of the comic book world allowed for this question to be answered in several ways. Harley Quinn is a DC Universe character, and the DC Universe is extremely broad. Similar to its major comic rival, Marvel, DC is a content machine churning out graphic novels, animated series, live-action movies, video games, and more. It includes scores of characters, who, for the most part, operate in different storylines. For example, Superman stories are full of supernatural elements like kryptonite and aliens. Batman, meanwhile, is human and fights the bad guys with high-tech gear, strength, and his mega IQ barely any magic to be seen. But comic universes are famous for crossovers. In the DC Universe, you might have heard of the Justice League. Or remember Superman and Supergirl flying into a Batman cartoon episode? Crossovers, thanks to the differing worlds of the many DC characters, don't always make complete logical sense. The dark, gritty world of Batman, for example, is quite different from Superman's all-American one. But crossovers allow for characters from these different worlds to meander beyond the borders of their original storylines and try out new tones as well as new narratives. That's what happened to Harley Quinn. Beginning in the early 2000s, she started appearing in DC storylines that did not belong to Batman and the Joker. From 2001 to 2003, she went solo in her own comic series, Harley Quinn. And in 2009, she became one of three female leads featured in the series, Gotham City Sirens. These series, no longer distinctly part of the dark world of Batman and the Joker, provided the perfect backdrop for a new Harley, one who was free of the cyclical violence that colored her first decade. The break wasn't clean, as with most breakups. In Gotham City Sirens, Harley decides to kill the Joker and get her revenge for years of abuse. But she can't go through with it. Instead, she ends up breaking him out of Arkham Asylum and getting back together with him for a while. But mostly, the series features her relationships with women. Even in the 1990s, Harley had relationships with other female villains. Fellow Batman villainess Poison Ivy is her long-standing BFF, 
but in the 2000s, with the Joker mostly out of the picture, these relationships take center stage, an exciting new development that gives her mutual support, whereas once she faced only abuse. She even starts to build relationships with the good guys, or rather girls. In Gotham City Sirens, she and Poison Ivy join forces with Catwoman, a mostly heroic Gotham crime fighter. This is in keeping with a larger shift in her story. As she steps into her own shoes and moves further and further from the Joker, she starts to toe the line between villain and hero. In Harley Quinn, Volume 1, she starts a gang and pals around with Poison Ivy. But at the end of the series, she turns herself in to Arkham Asylum, reluctantly accepting the fact that a life of crime is not healthy. Being good isn't easy. Through Gotham City Sirens, both Poison Ivy and Harley struggle with their new Catwoman alliance, and sometimes betray it, turning back to their villainous ways. Villainy is natural for Harley, and attractive, which is likely why she ended up in yet another series, Suicide Squad, about a group of villains coerced into working for the government. But all these 2000 series contextualize Harley's attraction to villainous behavior with psychology, and they make it a difficult attraction for no one more than Harley herself. A 2013 volume of the Harley Quinn series takes this idea one step further, making Harley Quinn into a full-on anti-hero and completely eliminating Batman and the Joker from her storyline. Here, she has returned to her work in psychology and moved to Coney Island, where she is a landlady and plays in a local roller derby league. She also starts an on-again, off-again relationship with her longtime best friend, Poison Ivy likely inspired by the increasing normalization of LGBTQ relationships in US society and media. But whatever the broader cultural factors that played into the change, for many Harley fans, it boiled down to yet another major and empowering step for their girl, out of abuse and into her own identity. Harley Quinn has definitely changed with the times. But, as we mentioned, when DC characters start crisscrossing between storylines, sometimes their characters develop in inconsistent ways. And that's been the case for Harley Quinn. While in the 2010 series Harley Quinn, she's moved on from both her experiences of abuse and her villainy, she's not so lucky in some other parts of the DC universe. Namely, the 2016 live-action film Suicide Squad, in which she's portrayed by actress Margot Robbie. Although Robbie's performance garnered approval from critics and Harley fans alike, the film as a whole was largely panned. Perhaps in part because it presents a bit of a backtrack for Harley. Rather than the liberated anti-hero of DC's contemporary comics, the film introduces Harley in the scene we described at the start of this episode. She's a federal prisoner, and she's still in love with the Joker. Throughout the film, we do see her building relationships with other villains, exhibiting strength and bravery, and ultimately towing that anti-hero line she has landed on in her comics. She also seems intent on remembering where she comes from, 
and insist to a fellow villain that he should own his past. But these flashes of real character are contextualized by the overall narrative inconsistency of the film, and an unfortunate tendency to rely on two-dimensional, lazy characterization. In Harley's case, that characterization leans on a dark version of the manic pixie dream girl stereotype. The excitement of her character stems from her kookiness and unpredictability, which is all about an exterior gaze, about the pleasure of the viewer rather than the character herself. And all her drives and desires seem to revolve around her man. This characterization culminates in a confusing scene near the end of the film. The primary antagonist, the Enchantress, fills Harley's mind with images of what she could be if she gives up her mission for the government. This is presumably Harley's ultimate desire, the ultimate temptation. We're in the sun-filled suburban kitchen. It's the morning. Harley's hair is full of curlers. Her skin is glowing with health and her smile is gentle and happy. In her arms is a baby, and by her side is her man, the Joker. But he too looks different. He's clean-cut in a suit. His dark hair is slicked back neatly, and he's bending down to gently kiss another child. This is it, the dream, everything Harley wants. That is to say, a happy, quiet life with her man. Then, something just as strange as the vision happens. Harley rejects the Enchantress's temptation. Apparently, this is because, as far as she knows, the Joker is dead. The Enchantress is evil, and she is brave and strong enough to stand up for humanity and her villain compatriots in the face of true evil. She sees through the fantasy. There's some of the classic Harley Quinn intelligence here, as well as the strength and independence that she has gained in the DC comics. But considering the way the movie has portrayed her otherwise, it feels a bit like a pandering girl power moment rather than a real commitment to a truly emancipated Harley. Still, Harley's story is far from done. Her iterations just keep coming, and a new 2019 TV show and 2020 film appearance are changing things for the character yet again. Coming up, another Harley Quinn, this time for the girls. Now, back to the story. In the 2000s, the abused Harley Quinn of the 1990s Batman storylines had several opportunities to develop and change. In the DC comics, she became an increasingly strong and independent figure. By calling it quits with the Joker, she was able to find her path as an anti-hero rather than as a villain. In the DC live-action films, her character was more regressive. While it didn't take her back to her mole days, it left her freedom and independence mired in a dark manic pixie dream girl stereotype, one that seems predicated on male fantasies. But the Suicide Squad character has been extremely popular, and not just with the boys. That's in part because of Margot Robbie's talent at playing the role with charm, poignance, and pizzazz. 
She leaned into the camp of it all and gave what many critics have called the most impressive performance of the film, leaving room for yet another Harley Quinn. On February 7th, 2020, a new Harley Quinn film opened in theaters, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. First of all, it's notable that the film is produced by Margot Robbie herself and that she has been actively working on the film through most of its development. It's also written and directed by women, unlike Suicide Squad. And it features a mostly female cast. That doesn't mean the film won't fall into some of the traps of Suicide Squad and other DC films that have been panned by critics. But long-time Harley fans will likely be happy to see that the film is at least emancipating her from the Joker and getting her a bit more up to speed with the comic book Harley. But the emancipation of the Birds of Prey Harley Quinn may be about more than just losing her man and going solo. Harley herself narrates her life in this film, as in, she's actually doing voiceover narration. That means more agency over her story and a potentially more liberated Harley. We also see Harley working with other so-called dames in Gotham City and building apparently supportive, genuine relationships with them. She tells another character, you are so cool. And there's no irony there, she's serious. On top of that, Harley is less sexualized, wearing shorts instead of underwear throughout most of the film and a looser top a small change that signals a deeper shift in the camera's gaze when it's staring down Harley. We're here for Robbie's acting, not her body. As always in the comic world, each new piece of the character puzzle integrates with the pre-existing ones and then takes its own liberties. But even if the film doesn't bring us home with an amazing live-action Harley, we have another, yes, another Harley to rely on for the independent, on-screen villain it's teasing. The Harley of DC's new online animated series, Harley Quinn. The series, which debuted in November 2019, is ongoing, and it's telling a Harley story all its own. There are plenty of recognizable elements from more recent Harley comics. The pilot shows her struggling to break up with the Joker and then ultimately making it out with the help of her own internal psychologist voice and her best friend Poison Ivy. Like the comics, the show also heavily features that friendship, using it for both light comic moments and a sincere celebration of supportive female relationships. But unlike many of the recent Harley comics, this Harley is definitely still a villain, with ambitions to join the Legion of Doom and to ultimately build her own gang of villains. Her gang is composed of outcasts, and it's the result of the fact that Harley's status as a villain's ex-girlfriend and as a woman make more established bad guys treat her dismissively. So there is some acknowledgement of the difficulties faced by women in the professional world, even the criminal one. But, spoiler, Harley does eventually make it into the Legion of Doom. She overcomes the hardships she faces and comes out on top. The show is ongoing, so like with the 2020 movie, 
It's impossible to say exactly where it will take Harley Quinn next. If 30 years with this character have taught us anything, it's that she's always able to change. But it seems audiences may be coming round to a more consistent version of Harley Quinn, one in keeping with her era. One who's a touch more feminist than either the original gangster Mole Harley or the Suicide Squad's gun-toting manic pixie dream girl. One who's a true standalone villain or sometimes anti-hero. Harley Quinn isn't alone in her anti-hero status as a villain. The anti-hero has become an increasingly popular figure in contemporary media. The complicated motives and sometimes conflicting actions of these characters are more reflective of psychological realities than black and white morality. As we see with Harley, they delve into the reasons we're good or bad, or both, rather than presenting them as absolutes. Modernity presents us with myriad daily opportunities, and thus myriad opportunities to go wrong. Anti-heroes reflect that, and reflect it with compassion. Harley Quinn, since her 2000s comic book evolution, has been showing up for that job. She's been teaching us how abuse can take you down all kinds of dark paths, and how you come out more or less on top despite it all. Even if she's often a criminal, she's an extraordinarily human criminal, and we love her for it. We love her enough that DC has taken note. Jim Lee, one of DC's co-publishers, once said, I refer to her as the fourth pillar in our publishing line, behind Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Kevin Canary, vice president of DC Collectibles, has commented, she's always a top seller, and can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Batman and the Joker as one of the most fan-requested and sought-after characters. It's pretty incredible that a 30-year-old comic character has become as popular as an 80-year-old one. She's a unique thematic package, and one that resonates just as strongly as ideas that have been around for decades longer. Thanks to that, she's here to stay. So here's to more ass-kicking, boyfriend-killing, kooky adventures with the clown queen of Gotham City. Real-world female gangsters, however, haven't generally had the privilege of that kind of overt liberation. They have been forced to work under cover of their femininity and hide their power. But sometimes, that secretive strength has made them all the more central to mafia operations. That was the case for Virginia Hill. Next week's villain was widely known as the Queen of the Mob, and sometimes as the intellectual director of Chicago narcotics trafficking. Thanks for listening to Villains. We'll be back next week with our episode on Virginia Hill. You can find all episodes of Villains and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Villains, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Villains on Spotify, just open the app and type Villains in the search bar. 
And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Villains was created by Drew Cole and Max Cutler. Villains is a Parcast Studios original and is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Villains was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Alastair Murden. 